communication, as you know, this it's become an increasingly specialized profession. Uh, it, it's no longer enough to be trained in kind of just communication. You need more and more experts on a wide range of different competencies. Citizens actually look at the government as unitary. They don't understand or necessarily care about the silos of the internal bureaucracy of government. So when they see disjointed or um, not coordinated messages coming their way, it can create confusion and it can actually um, uh, undermine the efficacy of each of the communication of different ministries that might on their own be quite well crafted and effective. Welcome to the GovComs podcast, bringing you the latest insights and innovations from experts and thought leaders around the globe in government communication. Now, here is your host, David Pembroke. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome once again to another episode of GovComs, the podcast that examines the practice of communication in government and the public sector. My name's David Pembroke. Thanks for joining me. Today, we bring you a two-part series where we dive into the recently launched OECD report into public communication. The report was officially launched in December, but then out to the world in January of this year. For those of you unfamiliar with the OECD, it stands for the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, and it's an international organisation that works to build better policies for better lives. With over 60 years' experience, the OECD serves to shape policies that foster prosperity, equality, opportunity and well-being for all. In this episode, we'll be discussing the mission of the OECD in tackling the policy area of public communication and take a deep dive into the findings of this report and what it provides in terms of actions, not only for the OECD, but member countries. I'm joined today by two of the OECD's policy analysts who worked on the report, and they worked tirelessly to bring this together, Corinne Bader and Carlotta Alfonsi. Corinne is leading the OECD's work on public communication reform and its contribution to openness and democracy. She's been working with reformers both inside and outside government for more than 10 years to strengthen transparency, integrity, accountability and participation in public life. She's formally advised governments in the Middle East and North Africa during the Arab Spring on anti-corruption reforms. Corinne, welcome to GovComs. Thank you very much, David. It's a pleasure. Carlotta Alfonsi works with Corinne in the OECD's Open Government Unit on the very same issues. And she looks at analysis of responses to both mis- and disinformation. Before transitioning to the policy side, she used to work to advise governments and not-for-profits as a communications practitioner in London. Carlotta, welcome to GovComs. Thank you, David. Pleasure to be here. Corinne, I might start with you, if I may, just to get some background into the report, which is the first of its kind, as I understand it, that's been undertaken by the OECD. 
Yes, of course. And, and I can tell you a little bit about kind of the methodology that we used for it. And I must say it was uh, quite a daunting task, um, more challenging than what we had initially imagined, but also uh, very much more rewarding. And, and I'll explain why. So our report, the OECD's public communication report, is largely based on a survey containing 10 dimensions and over 50 questions. Uh, and we have around 63 institutions from 46 countries plus the European Commission who have responded to it. And so we launched our survey in January 2022. And I'm sure you can imagine uh, what that entailed in terms of timing. Um, but it was challenging not only for the timing, but also the relevance. So we had chosen to focus on two entities. The first being the structures located at the center of government. So basically those serving the highest level of the executive, uh, prime minister's office, president's office, but we also wanted a service providing ministry. So we wanted to analyze the contribution of communications to concrete services. Uh, and we wanted to focus on a ministry that, you know, whose services and policies were affecting uh, citizens directly. So we first thought of ministries of education. Then we thought, you know, maybe ministries of health could be a good idea. And in the end, uh, we ended up choosing health, and, and I'm sure you can guess how that played out. So um, really, at, at the beginning of this podcast, I just wanted to mention how extremely grateful we are for really all of these heroic public officials who are going out of their way uh, in terms of communication to save lives, and who are also providing evidence for question 34.B of the OECD survey. So um, th this is just uh, a, a quick overview of, of, uh, of how the survey unfolded and what the role it took in terms of, of, uh, of working on this report. But it wasn't just a survey, but I'll leave it at that. And in terms then of sort of the, the big findings about, you know, the, the data collection, what was, what was some of the things that you found? Yes, sure. I'll pass it on to Carlotta. And, and um, I can just complete to say that there was, um, in addition to the survey, we've based this report on a very detailed analytical framework uh, that links kind of the information ecosystem with kind of the key principles of effective communication and kind of the outputs and impact that we want for it. Um, and in addition to that, we, um, you know, we, we co-produced and piloted the survey, but we then also did a series of data validation exercises, a series of online and in-person meetings, regional events to make sure that the survey uh, kind of fit in in different maturity areas and, and many, many long nights of research to be able to develop this. So uh, I'll pass it on to Carlotta on, on kind of the key findings of this. Thanks, Karine. I wanted to add another point to what you said about the methodology, because I think what is also distinctive about how we went to approach this survey is that this is uh, more the nature of the OECD methodology, is that we didn't survey communication departments on the perceptions of the people who work there. Uh, to the extent possible, what we did is that we tried to um, extract comparable empirical measures. So. Uh, official documents and procedures and protocols, numbers of staff, dimensions that were measurable, objective and comparable. Uh, we asked a couple of questions that also speak to the, the perceptions, so the perceived challenges, but to the uh, extent possible we really wanted to get a, uh, a valid and concrete picture that will not change with the change in staff, something that is a snapshot uh, and, and, uh, and a concrete one of the function across countries. To your question about the main findings and the areas that stood out about the report, there are perhaps 
three key themes that we identified that kind of connect a little bit the patterns in the questions and answers that we received and, and some of the conversations we've had with the practitioners around the world. One is on the governance of the function. The second key theme is also on the institutionalization and professionalization of the function. And then third, we really saw uh, some important uh, aspects and gaps with the use of evidence as the basis for impactful communication. So there's also a strand of work that focuses more on the disinformation side of things, and I think we're going to talk about it in a subsequent episode, so I will not go into it now. But on the first point, on the governance and mandates for communication, what we noted is that communication, by and large, is still not conducted very strategically or linked to tangible policy objectives. So, for example, to give you a stat from the report, we had less than half of the countries that responded that said they interact frequently with policy and program teams. And often we also see that for these same countries there's not a strategic approach behind communication. Uh, there's, no, um, there's no concrete link between the comms and the policy objectives or, or, or an objective-driven approach in the communication. And if I can give you another example from the, from the statistics of the report is that when we asked communicators about the purpose of communication in their department, uh, there is a prevalence of informing over dialogue, so speaking over listening, to, to use a, a good phrasing uh, that Professor McNamara has proposed. And many countries, for example, um, seem to still use communication that is synonymous with media relations and PR. 8% um, of the countries, for example, mentioned that one of the main purposes of communication was to promote participation. And this is a very small percentage if we think about the role that information has in increasing the quality of uh, participation in democracies. Uh, similarly, uh, just less than half, 45%, uh, said that one of the primary objectives of communication was to increase transparency. So um, overall, this to us uh, speaks to a gap, an existing gap between the potential of communication to fulfill a larger purpose that we see for it. And I'll say here that coming from the open government unit of the OECD, with our work focused on building a culture of governance that's centered on transparency, integrity, accountability and participation, to make sure that citizen input and scrutiny into policy can produce better policies and better outcomes for, for citizens. With this mindset, which is how we approach the, the work on communication, the way that it is conducted very often doesn't fulfill the, the potential for this function to really support democracy and to really uh, support the, uh, the increasing public trust, uh, which are often objectives or, or goals that policymakers and communicators both indirectly speak about. And this is something that we are uh, looking to, um, to, to build on in the sense that we really see the potential for communication to support this broader area of work on democracy and open government. And we also see that there's a, a level of um, awareness and, and um, a sense of urgency among communicators about 
their role and the role of the function and, and we want to promote it more actively, especially uh, with more senior policymakers or with those who uh, inside governments haven't uh, haven't seized the opportunity for um, for more uh, two-way communication for communication that really supports governance objectives. Sorry for the for the long answer. Um, we can uh, we can dive uh, deeper into some of these points if you want. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a 250 page report, so there are a lot of key findings, but we're happy to touch upon just a few of them. Yeah, well, we can go through them, I think, because there is so much to it, and in each of those answers. But I might just um, double back if I could, and just to get. Um, just a bit of the reasoning behind why, in fact, you chose this this area of policy and, and what you did hope to um, find in your research when, when you got started, because I know you do come out of the open government area of the OECD. And, Corinne, I'll direct that question to you. Yes, thank you. So, um, uh, as Carlotta was saying, our, we're the open government unit of the OECD's Public Governance Directorate. So we work on uh, ensuring that you know citizens are at the heart of policy making, uh, and 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 this is because uh, when you do this, you have improved policies and services, and you have greater trust in in government. And so for us, we really found that um, kind of communication was. Uh, did not have a role in this in this exercise in this equation. You know, the people in charge of open government strategies and and initiatives were not necessarily working hand in hand with public communication. And I know this is a, a recurring kind of um, challenge that public communicators face, whereby you know they're not always um, you know integrated in the policy design and implementation process from the very beginning. But even more so in the open government field, it was not necessarily considered public communication was not necessarily considered as uh, a government function that can help support transparency and participation as much. So this is kind of where we looked into it. Um, what else was there, Carlotta, in terms of, of uh, the area of work and, and how we're linking the two? Of course, um, I would say also there's, a, there's an important backdrop to this, which, uh, which in the subsequent episode my colleague Craig will probably uh, dive deeper into. But we come at a point where the information ecosystem has transformed significantly. Obviously, on one hand, you have the digitalization of, of media, social media, just internet transforming entirely how people perceive and consume information. And very often, algorithms have a determining role in, in what you see in your feed and how you begin to perceive the world around you. So this is a very important factor for communicators to take into account because it changes their work, but it also changes the dynamics of how other actors communicate. And I think missing this information is perhaps the, the, uh, one of the most important manifestations of how the information ecosystem has shifted and transformed. And this is what makes this work all the more urgent. We're not talking about the same communication function that we had on our hands even uh, five years ago. And there is also the question of trust. At the OECD, this is a, a, an important uh, part of our work. We have a, a team of colleagues who uh, focus entirely on, on measuring and understanding this really uh, dynamic and complex area. But from the data, we know that there is prevalently low levels of trust across all OECD countries. So the latest figure was 51%, the, the figure of 
citizens who trust their government. But hand in hand with this, you have also a crisis of trust in information. And multiple, um, multiple surveys and statistics from the Reuters Institute, from Edelman Trust Barometer, they reiterate this point that people are finding it harder and harder to find sources of information that they trust. And they tend to gravitate towards their inner circles, family, friends, trusted figures, often now influencers or, or public figures that tend to align with people's views and, and realities. So all of this means that there's a clear dynamic between the transformation of the ecosystem, the work of government, and the resilience of democracy. And communication is a very important part of it, and it requires an urgent focus, uh, which is why we're we're embarking on this work. So, Corinne, to you, as Carlotta very clearly articulated that it is a it is a big change. You know, looking back, it's just five years. The pace of change is enormous. That information ecosystem is rapidly changing and it's not going to slow down anytime soon. You, you point to uh, in the report around the need for institutionalization and professionalization. And you, you also point out that there is this need to invest in structures and capacity and that there is a need for more human resource and more need for coordination. Were they the big issues that were raised inside of the report? Is that what people are looking for, that they need more people, more coordination and more professionalisation to deal with the challenges of this rapidly evolving ecosystem? Yes, precisely, David. I mean, we we always hear about, you know, training, training. Um, there is There are report findings point to a clear need to invest in structures and capacity. Uh, human resources was among the top issues raised by communicators across the world as a key obstacle to their work. Um, communication, as you know, this it's become an increasingly specialized profession. Uh, it, it's no longer enough to be trained in kind of just communication. You need more and more experts on a wide range of different competencies. Um, we've seen how digital and data is extremely problematic. We also saw, for example, that half of the countries actually source expertise externally on issues like BI, um, for example. So the, the, the issue about structures and capacity really links to kind of ensuring that public communication you know, is considered as a profession in itself. And it's historically not always been the case, but as any profession, it requires um, standards, guidance, uh, skills. And so we've really seen how um, capacity structures, skills, training uh, came up in, in uh, for most countries that we've, that we've talked to. Um, and this is actually quite linked with uh, another key finding of the report, which is the focus on evidence and data. Um, this continues to be a challenging uh, area, continues to be an area that requires, um, you know, specialization and expertise. How do you how do you use evidence and data is obviously extremely important in informing your communication. Um, we've seen, for example, that evaluation was considered as one of the top three challenging competencies that governments struggle with. Part of it can be due um, to the fact that actually only about a quarter of uh, centers of government uh, who develop strategies actually include metrics for evaluation. So we're seeing kind of some structural issues in why this is a challenging um, um, area. 
Um, also, when you look closely into evaluation um, and, and the reason for it, for the need for it to be enhanced is that a lot of the, the, for the countries that actually do conduct evaluations of their public communication, um, a lot of it is focused on, on kind of outputs rather than the impact. And this was actually quite um, surprising for me. So only about a half of the countries that answered our survey measure behavior change. Um, which is which it's quite quite uh, surprising. Uh, only forty percent of them measure changes in the uptake of services. So there's this mismatch in terms of you know conducting sometimes really um, you know excellent communication efforts and, and initiatives, but there's this mismatch with kind of conducting evaluations forward uh, and building your actions based on on evidence and data. Um, and this is also linked to, uh, in a way, um, the use of audience insights, which is a, um, a fascinating um, topic. And, and, and there's a, a chapter dedicated to that in the report. Less than a quarter of the countries that have entered the survey say that they conduct audience insights systematically as the basis for designing uh, effective communication. So this is also kind of telling of uh, where we stand and what is challenging. Uh, you mentioned coordination. I'll pass it on to Carlota for that. Yeah, so the question there really is about that coordination, that, that you know, the, the coordination and the whole of government communication. Carlotta, you know, what sort of insights did you, you know, gain from the survey about this, you know, challenge of coordinating government communication? Thanks, David. I think what's most fascinating about the, uh, the answers we got on the issues of, on the areas of coordination and whole of government communication is that this is one area where it seems that countries have very different models in place. And even for us to mm, sort of go beyond the sort of multiple choice questions that we pose on this and get back, get down to the qualitative insights about how this works in practice, you see that it works really quite differently. I think if I had to synthesize it in a, in a simple way, about half of the countries have a system in which the center of government, which is often the office of the prime minister or uh, something like the cabinet office in the UK, uh, a central sort of organizing ministry, tends to hold the pen on the overall strategy and direction of communication, the mandate and, and sort of the, the main capacity uh, to support also the work of line ministries. But often enough, each ministry also has their own communication capacity and it's by and large disjointed from other ones and there is no specific pattern in the types of countries that have different models in place and we're, we're quite curious about looking into this, into this uh, further when, when we uh, continue our research in this area. We found it quite interesting that two-fifths of the respondents to the survey for example don't coordinate on the communication strategies uh, but all of them coordinate on media announcements. And this is, uh, this is interesting because media is now not necessarily the main aspect of communication. The press offices have that role, but there's a vast trove of other areas that require closer, closer uh, coordination between governments. Uh, citizens actually look at the government as unitary. They don't understand or necessarily care about the silos of the internal bureaucracy of government. So when they see disjointed or um, not 
coordinated messages coming their way, it can create confusion and it can actually um, uh, undermine the efficacy of each of the communication of different ministries that might on their own be quite well-crafted and effective. And I think COVID-19 provided a very good demonstration of the need for coordination and most of all of cohesive communication. So if we look at the report and even in the answers that you've given, you look at those priorities of the governance of the function, this this challenge of professionalisation, uh, you know, the use of behavioural insights is that evidence base for communications, the need for communication, uh, coordination. There is just so much uh, in in this report. It's, it's absolutely massive. Um, what do the findings mean to you? Corinne, I'll direct that question to you. So overall, the findings tell us that there is really an urgent need to kind of review the mandate of public communication to really set a more ambitious role for this key government function, uh, a role that really lives up to the potential of public communication. And so this needs to go hand in hand with all of the things that you've mentioned, with building the necessary capacity, advanced skills, um, setting empowering communicators, setting the adequate mandates, um, building communication based on, on uh, evidence and data. Uh, and, and this is really what will allow communication to fulfill its role and, and to create impact. And this is also why our, the audience for the report is, is not only for public communicators. Many of them uh, will be familiar with some of the findings, will agree to them. But um, hopefully what we're aiming to achieve with this report is also that the decision makers can understand understand how public communication can actually support uh, their role, how communication can support policy. And so this for us is is um, kind of the, a second key objective uh, of this report, in addition to looking at where countries stand, what's the status quo in terms of public communication. We're really hoping that this is a call to elevate the public communication function. Mm. So, and I think the report certainly does that. Having read it, it really is comprehensive, it's detailed, and it does, you know, clearly articulate the role uh, and indeed the benefit that can be derived uh, if indeed some of these challenges are accepted um, by the leadership of governments and public sector organisations around the world. But in terms of your own work, you've now really set about, as I say, this first and very important um, research paper, which has set a bit of a benchmark around issues and really around how those issues are being managed. What what next for you in terms of the work that you have to do? And I'll, I'll direct that question to you, Carlotta. Thank you, David. So, yes, as you said, this is sort of a starting point for us, if you will, um, now that we have these findings, we're looking to uh, work with uh, uh, some communicators who have helped us uh, refine our understanding of the challenges and priorities for the function. And we're looking to really use the, the full capacity of the OECD as, as a forum and as a platform to support some of the changes that the report calls for. And there's definitely some more research needed on key themes. and. Uh, we've mentioned inclusion and accessibility is one that we're exploring. Uh, we're also looking at some of the trends and innovations that have emerged after COVID-19, 
particularly for increasing how responsive communication is. But uh, I'll leave the floor to Karine to also uh, elaborate on some of the other aspects that we're working on. Yeah, just to say that um, really we, we're seeing more and more um, with COVID, obviously now with um, the war happening in Ukraine, you know, th this work is really at the heart of, of democracy and it's at the heart of an initiative that the OECD's public governance directorate has launched on reinforcing democracy. So the OECD is committed to the values of uh, democracy, rule of law, human rights, and, and we can see from many different angles how public communication uh, plays a role in this, especially as it links to mis- and disinformation. Uh, you, we'll be discussing this in a different podcast. Um, but really what we're trying to see is, you know, uh, through the kind of community of practitioners that we've developed uh, as we went on uh, working on this report, we, we want to work together to support some of the changes that the uh, that report identifies. Um, there's a lot more research that needs to be conducted. Um, some key themes uh, will be on inclusive and accessible communication, innovating communication, mis- and disinformation, and public communication responses to that. Um, there's also a lot of interest in kind of regional analysis. So, uh, um, you know, we see that whether it's in uh, Latin America, Southeast Asia, there are a lot of regions where... Um, you know, uh, bringing communities together, sharing lessons learned, sharing experiences uh, can really go a long way. And, and one of our key priorities is also to um, support the professionalization of the communication function at a global level. So um, it's really a really exciting time to be working on communication. Uh, and, and we're looking forward to kind of the next steps, because for us, the, this, this report was really just a starting point and a launch pad. And we're, uh, we're excited about what's next. So just in terms of inside the OECD, were, were either of you surprised at the level of interest and engagement that you received once you started this work? Because clearly the OECD, you know, its its roots are in economics and, and economic analysis to support evidence-based policymaking and other things, whereas this is, this is a bit of a new area. So what was the the sentiment around the OECD as you started to pull this work together? Did, was it attracting attention? You know, we kind of launched this work, started working on the survey in 2019, and then COVID happened and, you know, communication was front and centre for everything. And so we were kind of, you know, we had just launched a survey and we're collecting data as the, the pandemic unfolded and as we saw the, the crucial role of public communication. So I guess... You know, we can't we can't disassociate the, the the timeliness of this. But you know, given everything that's happened, we, we we've seen how public communication has you know saved lives at the end of the day, and so we're really um, you know glad to be able to to do what the OECD does best, which is collect data and and share uh, good practices from its different member countries to together build uh, uh, standards and try to to advise on on better policies for better lives on this particular topic. Hmm. Okay, now we're getting towards the end of our conversation today, but I'd like to sort of direct a question, a, a sort of a personal question to both of you, because clearly you've been heavily involved in the discussions, heavily involved in pouring over the data and, you know, the numbers, you know, you're looking at 10 dimensions, 50 questions, 63 institutions, 46 countries, plus, you know, the European Commission. It's a vast... Um, exercise that has taken many, many months and years of work. Just uh, what surprised you the most about 
this particular research, you know, what did you find out that perhaps you didn't expect to find out? And um, Carlotta, I'll, I'll put that question to you first. Thanks, David. Actually, one of the most interesting aspects in, in digesting the data and unpacking the findings was that the process of the data cleaning itself and validating the, the uh, figures and, and answers that we got through the surveys, it was quite articulate in the sense that we found throughout the process that uh, although we provided definitions and uh, spelled out each com concept and term in the survey, it seemed that communicators in different countries actually have quite different understandings of the same concepts. And this was something that we had assumed based on the literature we, we read and the conversations we've had uh, at the outset with some, uh, with some practitioners and professionals. But one of the main takeaways actually is that the function itself is structured and understood quite differently from one country to another in bigger ways than we expected. Having these conversations with communicators around the world and validating the data and understanding their particular context and perceptions was one of the more valuable aspects of, of this research and, and it really informed how we think about this work going forward and how we have framed a lot of the findings in the report. Excellent. And, and for you, Karid, what was your big takeout from the work that you, you've done? Some a few basic things actually quite surprised me quite a lot. Um, so in in the policy world, we often hear about how you know strategies are not implemented, that there aren't enough resources or time to implement them, etc. So it was surprising for me to find that um, over two fifths of countries actually do not develop public communication strategies, um, which was not something that I was expecting. So for, for us, this is a, like a, a kind of a, a, a key centerpiece of, of the work uh, going forward. Um, but it was also baffling to learn how hard it was for communicators to actually communicate around their actual budgets. Um, so, you know, a, a section of the survey kind of focused on, you know, how, how much, what budgets do you have available to you for public communication? And not a lot of countries were able to actually respond to this. And, and when we digged a little bit deeper, it was um, for a variety of reasons, whether communication budgets were ad hoc, what was the definition of public communication? And this is something that Carlota just touched upon, um, uh, not, not being able necessarily to link an actual budget to a communication initiative. So yeah, this is quite quite surprising to me as well. And then um, finally, something that I mentioned a bit earlier in our discussion uh, around, um, you know, were, what, what were communicators linking comms to their initiatives to? Uh, and so the, the, the figure that I mentioned around measuring behavior change, uh, measuring service take up, uh, these are two things that are not necessarily being used as often uh, or across the world, and 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 they would actually be extremely useful in in building the case for a bigger investment of communication because this is where you can really show the impact of it, and and you can really show kind of thanks to this communication campaign or initiatives, we were able to go from A to B. And so for us, this was kind of the key kind of tools that that communicators can use. Uh, to push for for a bigger uh, mandate and a bigger uh, uh, um, yeah a bigger mandate basically for public communication. And would there be anything that you would change in the work that you've gone about 
and done? Would you have sort of reflecting, looking back, are there things that you wouldn't have done that you did? I think this is, it's, it's really an ongoing conversation. Uh, none of this is prescriptive. And, and um, we, we have a really great community of, of practitioners, both public communicators, people working in open government, people that work on, you know, uh, innovative citizen participation. And we're in constant discussions with all of these different groups. Um, and so this helps us in a way to, I mean, you always learn from what you do, but we, given that we, uh, we, uh, we keep talking to all of these different counterparts, uh, we're, we're kind of able to keep the conversation going and, and refocus it on, on any of the areas that where we see adjustments need to be made. Hmm. And Carlotta, for you, anything that you look back on and think, uh, I would have saved myself a whole lot of time if I'd have decided to do something else or if, if I'd, I'd changed my approach? Uh, no, they've not, not, nothing in particular in that sense. I think the more I work on this, the more I see future areas where I would go back and do more research. But I think this is part of uh, the start of the journey and, and really uh, I think we've had a wonderful uh, and supportive community, as Karim was saying, and we have a lot of appetite for, for growing this area of work. There's a lot of interest and we we kind of look forward and not backward in that sense. We we have a lot uh, to do and I think the 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 best approach is to focus on what we can do next. Mm. Yeah, well, I think what the, the report certainly does is to, as I described earlier, just set that benchmark because it does feel in many ways like the profession is in the in the foothills. It's in the very, very early stages of its understanding of what it is, where it fits, and also how it changes. As you described a little earlier, Carlotta, this rapidly changing um, digital ecosystem and the rapid impacts that it's having on people's behaviour and the way that they consume information, the way information is is developed, the way it's distributed. There is It, it is uh, such a big change, a rapid change, a fast change, and it seems to me like there is going to be no end of areas where you are going to have to continue to try to, uh, well, to continue to look at, to make recommendations as to where can you strengthen um, the performance of the profession such that it can make uh, uh, the contribution that clearly you've, you've, you've articulated around that um, strengthening of democracy and the improvement of trust. Uh, in in government and public sector organisations. So I wish you well uh, in the enormous amount of work uh, that you have in front of you and congratulations on being the people who pu- who pulled this together because I think for many of us who've worked in the profession for many years, it's it's been something that's been um, sadly lacking that there hasn't been uh, a global view and and for you to be able to come in and, and do this high quality piece of work uh, it's it's fantastic I think for the pro- profession to start to think about itself um, a little bit more as a profession I think because that really hasn't come to pass so um, where would I, where can the audience find um, this research where can they get access to it? So our report is available on the OECD website. Uh, it's easy to search for it. It's the only public communication report. It's called, uh, the full title is Public Communication, the Global Context and the Way Forward. And if you follow us on Twitter, uh, uh, you can find both Karine and myself uh, searching for 
our names. We have tweeted plentifully about it, so uh, the links are there, and I suppose in the show notes for this episode, perhaps. We will certainly um, promote that, and we certainly look forward to part two of our conversation with the OECD because a very important part of this particular uh, research is around uh, disinformation. And what we'll be discussing um, is about good practice principles and dealing with disinformation and misinformation. I think it couldn't come at a more opportune time as we all uh, sit back in horror and and observe what is going on in the Ukraine at the moment, and indeed the, you know, the role of uh, misinformation and disinformation and and uh, public information uh, in that context. I don't think we'll get into the notion of warfare, but we certainly will look at um, those issues of disinformation. So we certainly look forward to that as well. So a very big thanks to my friends from the OECD who have joined us, uh, Karin Bada and to Carlotta. El- Alfonsi, thank you so much uh, for coming on to the program and thanks for your contribution uh, with this great piece of research. And to you, the audience, thank you for coming back once again. Very grateful as always. If you would like to give us a rating or a review in your favourite podca- uh, podcast uh, catcher, always helps and always helps for it to be found. But it's interesting. It's great to see the numbers for the podcast growing and indeed the diversity of the numbers who come and listen each week to our discussions about government communications because as Carlotta and Corinne have told us, you know, this is a, uh, it's global practice and people are very, very interested. So thank you for coming back once again and let your friends know. But uh, for the moment, uh, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with another Uh, great topic uh, from uh, the world of government communications. We will have part two of our discussion with the OECD, but for the moment, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the GovComs podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate and subscribe to stay up to date with our latest episodes. 